Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast, Fandom Talks. I'm Red Lanyard, or Al, from the Fandom Correspondence, and we are coming to you with another episode of Fandom Shark Tank. Um, thinking about it now, I'm not sure I ever said the name of the podcast last time we did this, but that's okay. It's Fandom Shark Tank, um, where each of us responds to the prompt of, if um, given the chance to create... Um, three dream projects for pre-existing properties. Um, one film, uh, one video game, and one other kind of project that can be whatever we uh, we want. Then what would they be? Uh, tonight, um, as usual, I am blessed by the company of my fellow Phantom Correspondents. We have um, we have um, Vance, Vance McCarty or Jacob. We have Wise Sage or Joshua. And we have Raven, who I call Jenny. How are y'all doing? Hey. Hey, what's up? How's it going, Al? Doing good, man. All right, good stuff. Um, so tonight, uh, we will be regaled with the uh, fantasy projects that our very own editor-in-chief, Vance Jacob McCarty, would do if he were given the opportunity and all the means and ends he would need to get his dream projects off the ground. Um, so, Jacob, I am <laughs> I'm very eager to hear. Uh, what property would you like to start us off with tonight? All right. So, of course, with with the basic plan of, you know, uh, a Phantom Shark Tank, uh, it's got to be one movie, you know, then one video game, and then a mystery project. The mystery project is actually going to be another series of films, um, but I'm going to wait until the end for that one. We're going to start off with, with the movie. I think it's a good one. Um, and so, of course, the idea is, of course, to pick a property that you have you have loved for most of your life or that you have a good amount of knowledge of and something that you have wanted to see. Um, and in my case, it's something that you really don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. And so for my first project, it's going to be a live action Gargoyles film. OK, yes. so, yeah. Okay, Damn. so uh, for those of you who are who are unaware, you know, or maybe the show slipped past you, maybe you're a little bit a little bit younger, a bit younger than my generation. Um, but the Gargoyles came out in roughly 1993, 1994, um, and it was initially uh, started by Greg Wiseman and uh, Michael and Brenna Reeves, a husband and wife duo. And those names may not mean a whole lot to you, but uh, Greg Wiseman. Uh, I mean, went on to this was like one of his first big projects after he was an executive at Disney. But he went on to do a couple of little shows called Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice. Um, Al just started salivating. Um, I'm pretty sure over the over the podcast just because like that's literally two of his favorite shows ever. Um, you know, and uh, and you know just to go ahead and just get Josh really excited. Uh, do you know Do you know the name Michael Reeves at all? Maybe, maybe. Okay, uh, he did a little. He uh, was one of the head writers for a little show called uh, Batman: The Animated Series. Nice, um, including the, um, uh, if I remember correctly, the uh, Mister Freeze episode, uh, Heart of Ice. Oh, really? Um, so, okay. yeah. Um, and he also worked on. I mean, he was everywhere during the eighties. Of course, dur during the eighties, for those of you who didn't know, we kind of talked a little bit about it um, when during Josh's Star Trek when we talked about Jim. Um, and G.I. Joe and stuff. The thing is, is like they basically had like rolling riders pretty much. So like you would find multiple 
of your favorite comic book writers doing episodes of, sh- of these different shows that you maybe might not think that they would be on. You know, um, Michael Reeves wrote an episode of Jam. Apparently, I looked that up. Uh, he wrote for the Ninja Turtles. He wrote for Transformers. He Man. I mean, basically, he was everywhere during the '80s. So you had two people who were incredibly impressive at their craft working on something together. Okay, so. Doing a little bit of the behind the scenes on that one, let me tell you a little bit about Gargoyles as an, as a whole. So Gargoyles was, uh, man, the premises. It sounds bonkers, but trust me, it works so well. Um, so basically, Gargoyles started off. Uh, there are these creatures. They started off in the Scottish Highlands about a thousand years ago, and they were literal gargoyles. They would turn to stone during the day, but then at night they would be basically these super strong flying creatures and they protected this castle okay well skipping over a little bit they basically get betrayed and basically all of their clan gets destroyed except for six of them yes six of them later seven but you don't know that yet um spoilers um and they are brought back to life um have this curse placed on them where they have to they are turned to stone for basically ever. And the I've always loved this. The curse is only specifically lifted if the castle is above the clouds, um, which is just so wonderfully specific for uh, old school uh, magic and storytelling, um, which, you know, it, it's pretty great. Uh, so naturally, how do how does the curse get lifted? Well, billionaire David Xanatos, played by Jonathan Frakes from uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, by the way, yes, if, if you're a if you're a TNG fan, dude, just just hold on to your hat because like half the cast is, is in this show. If you're watching that on, it's on Disney Plus. By the way, if you guys haven't seen it, it's definitely worth watching. Um, but yes, David Santos uh, buys the buys the entire castle, and then without any kind of montage of how it actually happens or how they get it up there, they bring the entire castle brick by brick to the top of his uh, of his building in New York City. Uh, so then, thus, the castle is finally above the clouds, and when it becomes nighttime after they get it done, um, then at that point the uh, the gargoyles come back to life, and then they are in modern-day New York. Uh, or, well, as modern-day as 1994 was, which was, how old am I? 26? 26 years ago. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's the basic premise. So they, uh, from there, they basically kind of become, like, the protectors of the city. Um, they kind of... They're kind. They're not necessarily antiheroes. I wouldn't call them that. But of course, people view them as monsters because, of course, they are these big, scary, you know, hulking-looking guys and everything. Um, you know, they have one human friend who is uh, Elisa Maza, who is a detective, who starts working with them to kind of basically help clean up the city a little bit. Um, you know, kind of do the things that you know maybe the police force can't quite handle. So the gargoyles step in and they do their thing. You know, um, so, yeah. And then they, I mean, of course, the basic premise, everything I'm telling you is pretty much the basic premise of what the first film would be, because I think, and if you haven't seen it before, the first five episodes um, of the show are basically a five five part storyline called Awakening. And um, 
it works really well as it would work really well as a film script, in my opinion. Um, basically, just kind of adapting that, adding a few things here and there. Um, I would maybe spend a bit more time in like New York, um, or excuse me, I'd spend a bit more time in Scotland first, and then switch over to New York. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, uh, a few a few things that that I would do. Um, I uh, I really like the idea. the The very first scene in the, in the in the show starts in New York, and then it's Elisa like driving through the city, and then she sees this big fight happening on top of the skyscraper, and then all these rocks start falling from the castle and everything, and then it cuts like back to Scotland. So like for the first episode, like you see her, and you don't really know why they're in modern day New York, but then it immediately just cuts back to Scotland. You know. That I'd probably stick with that as well. Um, maybe the first like thirty minutes or so, primarily in Scotland. Kind of uh, recently, I rewatched uh, Captain America: The First Avenger, and I forgot that that movie opens with them finding the shield um, in the downed plane and in, in Antarctica. Like that's the or not Antarctica, but still, uh, that's like the very first thing you see, and then it goes back and gives you no kind of lead in, you know, besides that. Until later, and of course, you figure out the whole story with Captain America. Um, I would do something similar with that. Maybe not like the entire movie set in Scotland, but you know, at least the first third or so. Um, really, kind of focus on on the idea that um, Goliath, who is the leader of the gargoyles and the other clans, were like protectors of this castle, and because they were portrayed betrayed, you know kind of really kind of focus on, on the fact that, you know, maybe not all of them trust humans as much as they should, um, you know, and especially kind of lead in to the inner conflict between Goliath and his lover, Demona, uh, later on in the film when she's revealed as being alive as well. Um, because Demona uh, is a much more, I'm not even necessarily sure that I would call her evil, but she is definitely an antagonist. Um, she's definitely someone who, at multiple different points in times, works um, works against the gargoyles, works against the better interests of humanity. Um, <clears throat> and as she hates humans, yes, you know, um, and you know, on 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 some days maybe I, maybe we don't disagree with her but on some days and and on most days when we're at, when we're at our best that's when we're like yeah no no Goliath's right we need to protect the humans you know they're they they can be dumb and stupid but they need to be protected you know um you know so yeah Demona would definitely be a <clears throat> excuse me Demona would definitely be a primary antagonist in the series um, Xanatos would as well. Um, Especially, especially in the first movie, I would really try to because he starts off as a friend to the gargoyles, and then you kind of realize that ultimately he wants to just use them. Um, and I would kind of lead, I would lead into that pretty heavily, um, you know. But yeah, um, one of the things I did find out by looking up about this, apparently Jordan Peele had made a. Uh, had made some kind of a treatment or some kind of pitch to Disney back in 2018. Um, so, you know, if I couldn't do it, I'd be okay if he did. Um, and if we could work together on it, oh, that'd be, oh, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, but yeah, so un unfortunately, like I said, my, uh, or I'm not sure if I actually said it yet, but my first one's going to be a bit shorter, but that's because the next ones are going to take a lot more time. Um, but yeah, so basically just a, a, a live-action Gargoyles film. Um, 
You know, the the only things that would really kind of change is I would maybe focus on <clears throat> kind of them as heroes for the city. Um, you know, they're basically kind of Batman and X-Men kind of mixed because they're simultaneously like kind of like these dark protectors, but they're also hated and feared, you know. Um, definitely kind of add that aspect in there. And um, I would make I would try to I would try to make New York almost its own character in the film. Um, you know, definitely make sure that the city itself is a city that is worth protecting, you know, and that is viewed that way. Um, a lot of times in in multiple superhero films, um, in my opinion, they don't really focus on the aspect of the city as a whole well enough. They focus so much on the primary characters and everything, which Obviously, they're important, but I think that if you have these kind of famous cities that are based on different properties, you know, especially like look at Gotham in particular in the Batman films, um, Gotham looks like every other city, you know, and that's always been something that I've always kind of wanted to see different in superhero films. And so I would definitely make sure that New York was something that really kind of stood out from from pretty much any other depiction of it. You know, so. So, yeah, so that's my pit. That's my first pitch. Uh, comments, questions, what are we thinking? Okay. Um, all right. So um, I have some questions and comments. Um, sure. for, first, I want to go to um, uh, Mark and Padres first. Um, Jenny, how about you? Any any reactions to Jacob's first pitch? Um, not really. I w- I've been wanting this for a long time as well. So... Uh, I really wish that it was a reality, <laughs> but um, I love the idea. I'm a big Gargoyles fan, so. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Joshua, how about you, bud? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, so I made the statement um, earlier today, ironically, that I don't like retconning villains, and I don't like, uh, in a lot of ways, I don't like redeeming villains anymore i think it's uh, it's become a bit much and um and so there but gargoyles is one of those is a show that um really really the only has in my opinion one outright bad character and that's probably Macbeth, who you didn't mention which is just a i was going to lead into Macbeth tragedy in the sequel <laughs> so uh but um so like so even Xantos, uh, like, you know, like he, Jake made the statement, like, you find out Xantos kind of using them. That even that kind of rubbed up against me wrong because that's not the total story there. Uh, and, and like, there, there's a lot that goes on with Gargoyles where I don't know if it's just because of the, the popularity of the characters or it was just, you know, that was the idea from the beginning or Jonathan Frakes is just such a wildly handsome and good looking and has just great dulcet tones to his voice that they were like, we can't have this guy be the bad guy because around season two, Xanatos becomes a straight up good guy. Mm-hmm. He's a, I mean, he's a straight up hero and Demona becomes a hero at one point, mm-hmm. you know, she's a straight up good guy and the villains really become a little more less gray and a little more just straight up evil. And so my question to you is, is, like, you know, how, like, what would you, how would you approach that, um, you know, because we've had this, you know, uh, we've, we've had some, some movies with some awkward villains in the past. I think uh, as much as I love Michael Fassbender, 
Magneto's, you know, up and down in in the X Men movies mm. recently has been really awkward. Where he's gone good, then bad, then good, then bad, then stupid, then bad, then good. <clears throat> and and I just think you know with with this movie, if you're going to do it correctly, uh, and, and and not just have it be a Michael Bay Ninja Turtles cash grab. You know, then if you're going to do it correctly, it has to have uh, those characters being well written. So, what would they, what would they look like? Would they be, you know, like would you, would you give hints to the fact they were going to be redeemed? Would you even redeem them at all? You know, uh, fantastic question, actually. Um, me and and let me go ahead, and, let me go ahead and set the record straight. Because um, I was mainly just talking about the first film. The following films would have Macbeth. They would have Puck. Uh, I didn't mention this because it's one of my favorite aspects to kind of find out on your own about the show. But they take a lot of hints from traditional Scottish lore and especially in the works of Shakespeare. Um, You know, so yes, Macbeth comes. uh, And Puck. And Macbeth and Puck (laughs) both come out of nowhere and are. antagonist towards the uh towards the gargoyles and it's amazing yeah, it's um, like your mama's wouldn't have and you know it isn't <laughs> it really isn't um but no to, but to answer your question um xanatos i've always viewed as a especially especially in the first season because he kind of goes back and forth a couple different times um as a Lex Luthor style figure, um, you know, and Lex Luthor and a lot of, in a lot of different stories has had redeemable moments. He has had moments where he wants to work for the betterment of mankind, but yes, ultimately he is an evil person. So basically I would view, I kind of view Xantos as like the inverse of him. Um, especially in the, like, like I said, I, I watched the first five episodes right before doing this, uh, just to get prepared. And there is a point <laughs> The turn that happens for him towards the end of this is jarring to say the least, even for 90s cartoons, because it's literally, well, the gargoyles won't give me what I want, so I'm going to sick the mechanical gargoyles on them, and then they're going to fight them. Then when Goliath comes back and starts, like, wrecking the mechanical gargoyles, he literally just pulls out a laser rifle. He's just like, all right, well, now this is happening, you know? Um, So I would probably tone that down a little bit um just because like like you said um xanatos i think is he is a character with more nuance than just you know the mustache twirling villain you know that you kind of get from the earlier episodes and everything um i would definitely i would definitely like to see him redeemed in this in the second one or something or something like that maybe like they work together to take down Macbeth, you know or things like that um or even if you want to get the pack involved, which the pack are wonderful characters to to have in, in a sequel. Um, they're literally superheroes based on uh, different animals, and it's it's great. Um, but no, I would I would definitely have a, a redeeming moment for Xanatos, um, where you kind of find out a bit more about his motivations and things like that. Um, as for Demona. Demona is someone that has been legitimately hurt, you know, and Demona, she is someone, she's a lot like a Magneto or like a Poison Ivy kind of figure to me. Um, She is someone that she has been hurt so badly in her past that she literally sees no other options besides just, just, I'm going to take down as many people as I can with me. I don't know who's standing with me. I don't know who's, who's going to work with me on this, you know, because I mean, 
<clears throat> excuse me. Um, in the early episodes, she's trying to kind of work with the gargoyles and work with Xanatos, you know, towards their goals. And then she starts to kind of turn. There's even a point where she like starts shooting rockets at Goliath, the person that she loves, you know, and it's such a, it's such a kind of a juxtaposition between the two because <clears throat> she even says that the centuries have made you weak, Goliath. And Goliath responds later that the centuries may have made me weak, but they made you, but they made you cruel. And <clears throat> that's something that I think I would definitely kind of bring out um, is that Demona is that way, but she has a reason as to why she is that way. They wouldn't just be, I, I, I don't like the idea of them just being these kind of two dimensional villains because they're not. Um, and Gargoyles was better written than that. Um, then they deserve, and in my opinion, the film deserves more than that. Um, so I would, I could definitely see them having redempt, redemptive arcs, uh, Danatos especially, Demona, most likely, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was, that was my only question. Oh, also, real quick, before, um, before we continue, um, I did want to talk about casting real quick. Please excuse me, I forgot to mention this. Um, so... I would absolutely bring back any of the gargoyles who wanted to voice their characters. Um, considering the the gargoyles themselves most likely be primarily CG, um, you know, and or, you know, different guys and motion capture and things like that. Um, I would absolutely be okay if, like, Keith David wanted to come back and voice Goliath. Um, you know, if uh, Ed Asner was voicing Hudson, be part be. 100% down for that. I think he passed away. He did not, actually. He oh, is. Yeah. He's still alive. He is still alive. He's up there, so okay. we need to make this movie happen quickly. Um, but but I would absolutely be okay with that. Um, and now, unfortunately, although I would love to see Jonathan Frakes, um, you know, make a cameo or something like that, we'd probably need someone a little bit younger for Xanatos. But I have a perfect idea. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, and this is a mild spoiler for, for the series. So Xanatos has an assistant named Owen, okay? And Owen eventually is revealed to be Puck, as in from A Midsummer's Night Dream, okay? And he's this wild person who's doing all kinds of magic and stuff like that and everything. He basically goes from this very calm and collected person to just pretty much insane, okay? So I cannot think of a better duo, for those two, then for the primary character of Xanatos to be played by Tom Hiddleston and for Owen to be played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Because I would personally love to see Hiddleston get a really solid role where he is a very kind of, kind of anti-hero, you know, because he starts off as a villain and then goes back, you know, and so on and so forth and everything. Um, but then also to see Cumberbatch... You know, he he's so, he has to be so reserved as Doctor Strange because he's Doctor Strange, you know. But if you ever get a chance, watching the behind-the-scenes of him doing the motion capture for Smaug and, and The Hobbit is probably the best part of that trilogy, um, honestly. And, oh, 100%. Uh, what'd you say? Oh, I was just agreeing with you, 100% agree. Yeah, exactly, you know. And so I would love to be able to see him, like have like this kind of like dramatic reveal in the second film where like he's he's owen but then all of a sudden like his eyes start kind of like twitching and then like he turns into puck it'd be like the coolest thing ever 
But anyways, yes. So so for casting, those were really the old, the main two that I thought about, and then literally getting any one of the original cast for the gargoyles to come back as well. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, uh, that was actually the question um, I had. I'm gonna I'm asked that question every time one of us talks about on the movie uh, project we have is who do you have for casting? Um, but uh, yeah, um, I can't let um, any opportunity to talk about how Jonathan Frakes pass um, without me saying um, if anybody ever has like um, a couple of minutes or so to kill and like all of us probably do right now because of quarantine and stuff like that um if you're ever trying to kill like a small amount of time go onto youtube and look up the montages of freaks um saying random things um when he was a narrator um for factor fiction um tv show because it is it is the best way to burn it's the best way to burn about a half hour or so is just having his very soothing voice address you with such um, on sequiturs as when was the last time you rode a bicycle? (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. I love those videos. I've never actually seen that video, but I remember watching the show. I've I've never, I've never seen the memes, but I've, I watched the show a couple years back. Um, uh, I remember me and mom watched it, and we just we loved it. Uh, but yes, his openings were his openings and his finales were always hilarious because because it'd be like he would just walk out from nowhere from like behind like a suit of armor or you know like a gigantic wardrobe or something like that, and he would ask those random questions. But yes, I is Factor Fiction on any streaming service? Do we know? Because I would I would watch hours of that show. <laughs> Oh, not as far as I know. You know what? That will be the next thing I fact check um, when we're in conversation. <laughs> that's, that's the next thing we do, yeah. But, um, yeah, I just love, man, I love the visual so much of Frank's just, like, climbing out from under a pool table and saying, who's the tallest man you've ever seen? I just... <laughs> Actually, you know, he's old enough. Jonathan Frakes is Macbeth. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm down. Okay, there we go. There's let, let we have to get him in the movie somehow, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, man. Um, I like the idea a lot. Um, especially now with kind of the resurgence the show has had. Um, I mean, you know, being available to stream on Disney Plus. Um, mm-hmm. there for a while when Disney Plus first came out, uh, when I would talk to people about it, that was usually one of the first shows um that people will talk about they'd just be like oh my gosh i get to watch them argoyles again um so like it definitely it definitely is popular enough t- to support um, a project like that and i think it had like just the right amount of following to be um uh, very successful but um but um yeah man yeah i'm all about it all about it um all right um well, brother, are you ready to talk about your next project? Yes. Um, yeah. No, I'm absolutely ready. Um, so my next project is we, we had discussed a video game. Okay. So my next project is going to take a little bit more time to explain, but it's because it's something that I literally have no idea why it has not been done yet. Um, and, 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 and 
you'll understand a little bit more when, when I start talking about it. But I don't understand particularly why one of these uh, properties has not been touched in the realm of video games. And if they have, it hasn't been too great except for like some arcade versions. But so Josh talked last week <clears throat> about G.I. Joe getting a new comic book series. Okay. <clears throat> I have always wanted a G.I. Joe and Transformers video game. Okay. I have always wanted this. Okay. Um, and to me, it is something that these two properties would go hand in hand, um, just like they did in, in the first comic. You know, they're both owned by Hasbro. Um, you so I mean, you, you all you have to do is really kind of pitch it to just one company, and you'd be set. Um, and we've had, you know, of course, with the trans with the Transformers films, um, we have had some video games in the last couple of years, um, for Transformers. And there was one G.I. Joe game for the first movie that just, you know, it, okay. Um, you know, but for me, I would like to see them mix together and really kind of focus on the traditional side of it. I would, I would like go back to, you know, getting, get, get Peter Cullen, get Frank Welker, get, get Charlie Adler, get, get the voices back, you know, um, and for Transformers, I'm kind of cheating a little bit because the Transformers did have a game like this, um, for those of you who didn't know, called Transformers Devastation. Um, it's, on, it's on PlayStation 4, it's on Xbox One, uh, came out a couple years a couple years ago. <clears throat> and the controls in it are, are very similar to what I would do for the Transformers as, as a whole. Uh, the Transformers would play a little bit different from the G.I. Joes, obviously, um, you know, because G.I. Joes can't transform but you know um but um but you know when i first thought about this game we were still i mean when i first thought about this game we were still in like the wii and ps3 and 360 era so we really didn't have like online gaming wasn't as prevalent as it is now of course now it's almost essential and this is one of the few times where i think that you as a couch co-op game in the, in the way that I want to do it. So for the, we'll start with the Transformers. With the Transformers, you know, like I said, it's going to be similar to Transformers Devastation. Um, the, the, I already have a roster, um, you know, and that's Bumblebee, Optimus Prime, Hot Rod, Ironhide, Jetfire, and Grimlock. Um, the, the, the play style would be similar to, um, to Transformers Devastation, and or the uh, War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron games that came out a few years prior to that. Um, those are also really good as well. Definitely, wor definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, Bumblebee and Hot Rod would be kind of like run and gun kind of style. Optimus is a bit more kind of like the well-rounded one. Ironhide would be a little bit heavier and more kind of uh, kind of rapid fire, kind of gun support and everything. Jetfire, of course, would be you know one who could kind of fly over you know the different cities and things like that. Grimlock would just be absolute insanity. Just, you know, he he's a for those of you who are uninformed and if you are, I mean, one, I'm sorry you didn't know about the sooner. Two, I'm so glad I get to be the one who tells you this. Grimlock is a transformer that is literally like he literally turns into a Tyrannosaurus Rex and it's the coolest thing ever. And he was butchered in the fourth movie. I don't like talking about it, you know. Um, but yes, Grim Grimlock's great. Okay. Um this is the only, like, really primary thing that has to happen in the Transformers game for me. 
they have to be able to transform at the press of a button. Okay. Now you might hear that and think, well, yeah, no, of course they would play the first two film games and they cannot transform except for the areas that they tell you that they tell you, you can transform. So like there's chase sequences and there's action sequences. That's not the way it should be. Uh, to, to me, the way it should be is that literally you tap a button, they transform, they can do whatever they want, you know, should have absolute free reign over that. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's the definite on the transformer side of it. Now the GI Joe side is going to be a little bit different. Okay. Um, so for the GI Joes, I do have a roster once again. Um, and so we would, so we have Duke who is kind of the kind of go-to gunner. Um, Roadblock is of course the heavy, the heavy machine gunner. Um, Snake Eyes is the commando. Scarlet is, you know, the counterintelligence, also kind of, you know, a little bit sneakier, you know. Um, Gung-Ho is going to be your demolition specialist. And then Low Light is the sniper, okay? Now, their play styles are all going to be very, very different. And this is where, like I said, the online aspect would kind of come in, um, come into play. Because the leveling system would be, you know, kind of similar to Borderlands, in the sense that you would pick a character and then you would start playing as them in those missions. Um, <clears throat> so for for Duke and Scarlet and Gung Ho, the the playstyle would be very similar to kind of like a Gears of War setting, where you know you have like a cover system and everything like that. Um, Low Light would actually be an FPS character. You play him, you're you're just it's just an FPS. Um, He's kind of he's kind of away from it. He's the one who he has a couple of different ways where he can basically he can scout out targets. He can he can kind of give you kind of a heads up on what you're about to get into if another character is playing as Duke or something like that or Scarlet. Um, Roadblock is a mobile tank. Roadblock doesn't even take cover. Like he's literally just walking around. He's just shooting. Just that's that's Roadblock. Okay. Um, Snake Eyes is of course the most interesting. Uh, Snake Eyes his combat varies so. The way that I would the way that I would do that is basically you would have these moments where you would have kind of a you know like hold L two to aim R two to shoot um, you know where he's got his Uzi or he's got throwing knives or something like that um, but of course if anyone gets up close you know you start tapping you know square or triangle or something he can start doing sword combos um, and you know everyone would have like different different kind of abilities where kind of kind of like in you know, maybe not as powerful as like the Overwatch abilities um, or the Overwatch ultimates, or something closer to kind of the like Borderlands style of like you hit L1, they have like their own kind of ability. Um, you know, I would probably do something like, you know, Duke has, you know, like auto aim basically. Um, Roadblock becomes like way faster in, in a shooting. Um, Gung Ho just goes crazy with grenades or something like that. Um, Snake Eyes, just you basically win if you hit L1, um, which is the way it should be played. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but the way that I would, but the way that I would mix these two, okay, of course, because of course you have, you know, these kind of varying different styles of gameplay all in the same game. Um, but the way that I would mix these is that basically you would constantly have a choice of playing as the playing as the Transformers or playing as the GI Joes, you know, playing as the Autobots or the GI Joes. Um, and I mean, and I, I, I will, you know, 
the way that I would probably do it is some someone like you know, I don't know, like Ironhide and Bumblebee have to go, have to go like chase down this Cobra installation. Meanwhile, like the GI Joes have been trapped by Starscream, you know, or someone like that. Like like constantly kind of mixing like the uh, the different aspects of, of the characters, you know. Seeing Transformers take down his tanks, you know, would, would be pretty awesome. You know, uh, Jetfire t- fighting Wild Weasel, well, I think would be a really cool boss fight, you know. Um, so, you know, you'd have different things like that. Um, the basic story, uh, excuse me, the basic story that I come up with um, is, it's kind of basic. It's uh, it's traditional to, you know, some older Transformers and G.I. Yeah, Joe lore, um, but it's basically just, you know, um, Megatron's looking for uh, for the Matrix leadership. You know, he wants to stop Optimus from becoming, you know, the last Prime. Um, you know, and becoming the ultimate leader. Um, he sees that basically the world is slowly being, you know, overrun by Cobra, and so he starts asking, you know, like like he literally goes and asks Cobra Commander, like, "How have you been doing this?" You know, and so you constantly have these two overtly arrogant leaders going against each other um you know with cobra commander and megatron literally just arguing back and forth uh, on a couple different moments which honestly i that that's that's probably where this game actually began is i just really wanted to have have scenes where cobra commander and megatron were arguing with each other um because i just i love both of those characters so much um you know so so yeah so that that's my basic premise is that i would just I really like the idea of having different play styles for the different GI Joes. Um, Transformers would be fairly similar in their play styles. Um, but I mean, of course you would have different weapons for each one and everything. So maybe you want to be a bit faster. So you want to go for Bumblebee. Maybe you want to do just massive, da- massive, crazy amounts of damage and just destroy things. So you want to be Grimlock, you know? So, yeah, that's my basic premise. Uh, questions, concerns, comments. Um, I've got, yeah, um, so, so I've got a question. Um, okay. um, I like the idea. Um, I think, I think where, um, <clears throat> I think where we've seen things like the MCU and, um, and stuff like that, where, um, the idea of like shared superhero films and crossovers, um, have become so prevalent, um, I really don't know why that same idea hasn't been there for video games as much. Um, mm-hmm. With like the, the exception, of course, of like um, Smash Bros and things like that. Um, but um, and so I think the idea of saying, "Hey, here's these two very complementary things, and we're going to put them both in the video game," um, I think that would like, um, I think that would appeal to a lot of people. Uh, the question I have is and this is a question that i always have in my mind when i hear about a video game that features like a wide cast of characters or uh, or however it may be is how do you plan on uh being able um to balance uh, the, the characters in the game to where all of them are like are comparably attractive to people because just thinking about the roster you have, like, I know for me personally, this could not be true for other people, but personally for me, like, uh, hearing you describe 
um, and name off the people in your roster, um, my first thought is, well, like, on the G.I. Joe side, why would I ever want to be, like, anyone other than Snake Eyes? <laughs> and, like, on the Transformer side, it's just like, why would I want to be, like, anyone other than Hemlock all the time? Like, um, I mean, so, yeah, because I think that's a, a pretty frequent problem that comes up with games like that is being able to balance the characters so people don't just like almost exclusively stick to one or two that feel overpowered or feel even um or a lot more fun to play uh um, so how would you address that well i mean of course naturally obviously you know they would be you know these mainstay kind of characters you know they would be you know Everybody loves Snake Eyes. Everybody loves Grimlock. You know, um, a lot of people love Bumblebee. You know, a lot of people love Roblox. You know, and characters like that and everything. Um, the balancing, I think, would kind of come into the aspect of kind of how differently each one would play. Um, you know, so yeah, maybe you don't. You know, obviously, I, I feel like on most people's first playthrough, especially if it was in a Borderlands style, it's where you go through the entire game as Snake Eyes, you go through the entire game as Grimlock. You would definitely start with one of them, probably, because you, you you would start with whoever your favorite is, you know, or whoever is the most interesting to you in your play style. Um, Scarlet, I think, would play a little bit more, you know, like a run and gun style, you know, instead of you know, whereas Duke is kind of a more kind of like all in one kind of kind of fighter, you know. So maybe you maybe you want to play that style instead, and I think it also would kind of work into the aspect of who's going to help your team the most. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, because maybe, maybe you have snake eyes, but you know, like maybe he, maybe he can't do just about everything, you know I mean? Of course he probably could, but you know, maybe, maybe instead you've got like this entire room full, full of Cobra troops. And so you need roadblock, you know, you would need someone who can take a lot of damage, who can basically be the tank for people. You know, or you need Gung Ho, who, you know, like I say, he's got he's the demolition expert and everything, you know, ex-Marine and all that, um, you know. So for me, I think it would be about making sure that each one had a different kind of play style enough that would be interesting for them, um, you know, and that it wasn't just everyone has to pick Snake Eyes immediately, Um you know, I think obviously that would be like like you said, obviously that would be a choice, you know, and obviously that would be probably a a popular choice by a lot of people. But I think that if you were really trying to if you were doing it correctly, you could absolutely work work on it to where each one, each character really stood out and each character was interesting enough, you know, to do that. I mean, there are, I mean, Josh can tell Josh can tell you better than I can. I mean, there are multiple, you know characters in the in the comics that definitely stand out you know as well as snake eyes still being there you know snake eyes is in four episodes of the show he's not in it a lot he's in more than four i mean more than four but no but, but i mean he's not in it a lot you know and i mean so you have you know these other characters that a lot of people really kind of fall behind i mean my favorite character in the show is probably shipwreck and you know because shipwreck's just hilarious and he has a parrot you know um you know, but so for me, I think it would be that would be more so about the aspect of is each character interesting enough and how could how could we figure that out? Um, and I think you would really just kind of have to 
make sure their play styles are distinct enough and make sure that their abilities are distinct enough as well. Gotcha. Okay. Um, uh, Joshua and Jenny, um, any comments or questions for our boy Jake? I'll let Jenny go first. Um, I don't really have anything. Okay. Um, so I, my 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 issues with this all stem from um, how it would play out because you said you you want you wanted to be kind of like a co op game, right? Mm, kind of, yeah. You can okay. play it separately, but so the so the the I've, I've kind of, it's kind of a, a different version of what Al asked because you've got um, you've got Transformers, you've got GI Joes. Um, presumably in a co-op you'd have at some point Transformers and G.I. Joe's being played on the same team Mm -hmm. how would that work exactly so for me like the way the way that I would do it is like I've got I've got this I've got like you know different kind of set pieces that I think would be kind of really interesting Um, like I said like I said earlier you know the Jetfire Jetfire versus Wild Weasel fight I think that'd be kind of a cool thing to see um and so I think, like, in that aspect, you know, certain characters will kind of branch off into their own kind of storylines. Um, so, you know, like, maybe, like, you play, like, the Jetfire part. Meanwhile, your guys that are on that are playing as the G.I. Joes or you guys are playing as other Transformers, like, they're doing something entirely different, you know. Um, but as long as Jetfire is doing his job, you know, you're not constantly getting bombarded or something like that, basically. Um but when it comes to like the actual aspects of like the different kind of missions and everything that you would be doing, um, <clears throat> and like the different kind of play styles, you know, I really kind of like the idea of like it would start off with like like say you were taking down like a Cobra base, okay? So like the Transformers would be like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna get them there, and then we're gonna get we're gonna get them covering fire, and then while the GI Joes go inside, and they kind of take care of the inner structure basically. So basically on the outside, you would have you know. Like I said, the different Transformers taking, you know, finding like different like his tanks, you know, maybe the the dreadnoughts are there, you know, or something like that, and they're shooting down the different vehicles and everything. While you have like the people who are playing as the GI Joes would be like inside, they'd be the ones, you know, like going up against, you know, the different the different Cobra troops and stuff like that, taking them down and everything, you know. So that's kind of that's kind of the way that I'd kind of imagine the different styles that each different person, whenever you start playing, would have a different kind of mission. Um, so you would be able to kind of drop in, drop out if you needed to, you know, because you would still have the CPUs be playing those parts or it'd be people jumping in to play those parts, you know? Um, yeah, I just, I think, so like we're, we're playing through Borderlands 3 right now and the problem with doing a co-op game is that you lose an, a certain element of freedom in storytelling. Mm. Um, so, for example, like, for this is just a small thing, okay? But, like, uh, we were in Sanctuary, and there's an arcade, you know, there's an arcade game over to the side uh, called Borderland Science, and Jake hit it, and, you know, like, this thing played, but I didn't see it. All I did was hear it. And then while he was playing the Borderland Science, I couldn't play the game either. I, I was just kind of stuck there. And there's, and that, I mean, that's not a, that, I mean, that's not a knock on Borderlands. I don't, I, I don't know how to change that up. I'm just saying you lose a lot of freedom when you have a co-op game like that. Um, it's one of the things that 
as much as I love co-op games, uh, I'm, I'm a little scared we're getting away from the, the concept of, you know, your best stories are told in video games where it's not a co-op because a co-op game is always going to push gameplay first. Um, and so particularly when you're wanting to do set pieces, mm-hmm. you know I mean? It's like, I mean, just, I mean, I think Borderlands 3 is just about as good a co-op experience as you're going to get mm-hmm. in this day and age. But like, what set piece can you think of in that game? Or just like, oh, the boss is really big, you know? And like, so what I'm saying is like, you know, in order to do like an actual set piece, for me, if I was, if, if I was taking this game on, my thought process would be closer to a one player game. And that would solve a lot of issues. For one thing, it would solve the concept of like, why, why would I be anybody in Snake Eyes? Because what you've described Snake Eyes, he's, he's already overpowered. That's true. I mean, yeah. he just he's just straight up overpowered. You know, he's just he's already. He, yeah. I've got a sword and I've got an Uzi. You know, and I'm also I'm a ninja. I mean, it, <laughs> it's kind of like it, it. You know, and 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 I love Snake Eyes, but it's kind of like what happens when a five year old kid describes, you know, what he wants to be. You know, when he's playing, you know, he's like, "Well, I'm going to be a soldier. Well, I'm a ninja with a Uzi." You know, and like it's just that's what he is. And when you transfer that into a game, it, in my opinion, it's going to be very hard for anyone to be, it's just like, well, you know, you got snake eyes and the rest of us. Mm. Um, and so in my opinion, the game might better be served. I, I know everybody wants to co-op things, but the game might better be served as a one player game where, you know, you are dealing with things from different perspectives, different, different characters. You know? and, thing. Gotcha. and that way that that's a better way. That way you, you have to, if you do that correctly, you know, you can, you can really explore a lot of different characters. Um, you know, and there is, you know, so, you know, uh, Transformers and G.I. Yeah, Joe have a, have a long history of coming together in the, uh, in the comics. There were two, there were two Marvel series that were mm-hmm. Transformers versus G.I. Joe's, and there was one. IDW here recently. IDW yeah. just did one, which was fantastic, uh, which I would actually tell anybody to read if they could, because literally Jeff, uh, or John Barber, you know, writes and, uh, and uh, draws it. And basically, um, you know, his concept was he was just a kid who grew up in the 80s, had all the toys. And he was like, I wonder if, what would happen if I could draw a comic book with all the toys. And for me, that's what the game needs to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be something where uh, you need to go over top with it. And you got to have these big set pieces. I think one of the problems with Borderlands, with Gears of War 3, you know, as much as I loved it, uh, you know, with really any type of of co-op experience that we've had, uh, is that, you know, all of the experience comes from playing with another person, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good thing. But uh, if you want to have good set pieces, you know, if you want to, if you're thinking of something like, you know, having a moment where, you know, Jetfire and... Uh, you know, well, and, and Wild Weasel mm-hmm. and the Cobra Rattler are fighting each other. If you want to have that moment, um, you know, that's that's something I think is going to be really hard to do from a co-op perspective. Um, and then just one more quick thing. Uh, Gung-Ho is not a demolitions expert. He's a Marine. Um, that can't I can't let that pass. Uh, you have at least 200 demolitions experts on the G.I. Joe team. As G.I. Joe nerd, I can't do it. Particularly Tunnel Rats, a demolitions expert. And I just don't understand how how gung-ho is your demolition expert. But that's just a G.I. Joe nerd thing. 
That's okay. Um, you know, um, but I just, I just, I couldn't, I can't let that pass. The moment you said that, I was basically like zero out of ten when it play. Um, <laughs> but you know, but that's okay. You know, I mean, that's that's just uh, that's where I am as a GI Joe nerd. But it, you know, if 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 years from now there are GI Joe nerds that are listening to this at any point, you know, they're going to be happy that I said that that, that, that you came in. Yes. yes. Okay. I okay. just I've added, you know, a lot of authority to the fandom correspondence just from saying that. Mm-hmm. So, but, that, that, but no, I, I love the idea. Like I said, it's something I agree with Al. I don't know why that kind of stuff isn't done more of, um, you know, and so, yeah, I love the idea. I think it's great. I, uh, the, the more, the more we talked about it and the more you, you said it, um, I think that maybe it would work better as a single player. Um, the, the more I kind of think about it, because then I start kind of thinking about, you know, well, okay, but the different play styles are automatically going to be kind of jarring. If, you know, if you're playing low light, you know, how often can you really kind of play as the style of, you know, picking different troopers off and helping people guide people through versus if you have like two really interesting low light levels where you're playing as a sniper, mm-hmm that would be a more interesting aspect. Um, so I do kind of want to go ahead and backtrack on that. I think maybe that a single-player game would work a lot better. Um, now, Gung Ho with the Demolitions es- Expert, that one was a mistake on my part, um, mainly because uh, the 25th anniversary of Gung Ho uh, comes with a grenade launcher, oh. and I just always took that to mean that that was his kind of ma- main weapon, um, and that is on me. Um, but it might yeah, be his main that's... weapon, but that's not a demolition. Well, still okay, okay. Well, still okay. So he's the guy who uses the grenades in, in the game. Oh, good lord. Okay, okay. so we can All go right. with that. Moving, moving on, moving on, Al. Before he embarrasses himself even more, move him, move <laughs> him along before this gets out of hand. You know, before we have a before all 25 Gadjo super fans start a revolt <laughs> against us. Okay, All right. We are few, but we are powerful. Okay, so. Um, all right, it's good stuff. Um, alrighty, y'all. Um, so for our last piece of this episode of Fandom Shark Tank, with our wonderful editor in chief, Vance Jacob McCarty, um, we have his last project now. Um, um, the rules for this um, prompt were just that this last project can be anything you want. It can be a comic book series. It can be a cartoon series. It can be a second video game or second film idea you had. It can be just a smartphone app. It can be anything you want about a pre-existing property. So I am very eager and excited to hear what Jacob has for us. So take it away, brother. All right, guys. So this last one's probably going to be the longest uh, of the ones I've done. Mine have actually been pretty short uh, in comparison to Josh, who had these epic treatments and everything and plans, which I don't blame him. I I, I loved it. Um, and I apologize. It might have been a little bit shorter. But with this one, okay, I'm going to be kind of taking the cake on it. Um, so for a long time, I have thought about doing an article about this and i was even tempted to do one during quarantine um but whenever we started coming up with the idea for this i was like nope i'm just gonna save it for the podcast and i'm just gonna do it on on air you know so my last project is 
How would I save the DC Cinematic Universe? Oh, Lord. All right. Okay. Okay. So strap in, ladies and gentlemen, because here we go. We're free for this episode. (laughs) What'd you say? So I hope all our... (laughs) Hope all of our audience has eight hours free for this episode. <laughs> like I said, we're we're I'm, I'm gonna try to go through as quick as I can. Okay, um, you know, so so for those of you who don't know, or if this is clearly your first time listening to the fan of correspondence, um, we are not necessarily the biggest fans of the current DC Cinematic Universe. Um, the different characters we feel as though have not been given uh, the proper showings. Um, with the except with you know quick exceptions to like Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Shazam, um, uh, those those have been pretty solid. Um, but even Aquaman, I have some issues with, um, and I'll be addressing those here momentarily. Um, but the primary ones that have really hurt us have been the treatments of Batman and Superman. Um, now I'm not necessarily going to go into exactly you know why we don't like those, and and instead of giving you problems, I'm going to only give you solutions. Okay, so here we go. Okay, so <clears throat> first and foremost, uh, this is a complete reboot. Um, I've been trying to think about different ways that I would try to kind of continue the current story and try to fix it. I think it's almost too far gone. Um, so you know, I think I think reboot is really the only proper plan. If they're going to continue trying to do a shared universe, there are rumors of them going to just single films and single stories and stuff like that. Okay, sure, let's do it, whatever. Okay, all right. <clears throat> but anyways, this is my version. Okay, if they came to me right now and said, "We, you were the only hope we have for the DC Cinematic Universe. What is your plan? All right. So the first movie is called Superman Truth and Justice. So... The very basic premise for this, um, I think one of the biggest things that the DC Cinematic Universe is missing is the fact that all their primary characters would have films that would be vastly different from each other. Um, One of the larger complaints about the MCU, especially in the earlier films, is that a lot of them were very similar in Hero figures out powers, Hero has to overcome his essential, his main issue, Hero defeats villain, movie is over redo in the second one i just for the record i disagree with that but okay um with the dc films on the other hand though they are literally vastly different from each other now superman would play out like a traditional superhero film um heavy heavy focus on superman as this kind of eternal light um you know this ideal for for metropolis this ideal for everyone to look up to um he is kind of like the first of the first superhero he's he's the one that everyone kind of goes back to um in both you know real life and the film um and really just kind of focus on him just as a hero um i I think the biggest i think the biggest mishandling of superman particularly in man of steel is that he doesn't really save anyone except for like that one small family um at the end and and I know that he of course now, now of course you can make you know oh but he saves all Metropolis he saves the world and all that and everything okay but there's I get the whole overarching theme but I just want I just want to see him save someone from a burning building I, I want to see him I want to see him you know guide the helicopter that's uh, that's malfunctioning down uh, down to the platform I'm and and honestly I'm not going to apologize for that 
I, I think that small scenes like that are what make some of these superhero films so essential. You know, um, I've already mentioned it once in this podcast, but I watched it recently. So, I mean, it's uh, it's going to happen again. And Captain America, the first Avenger, one of my favorite scenes in that is when he stops chasing uh, the Hydra agent, looks at the little boy, and the little boy says, go get him, I can swim. It is a small eight-second scene, if if that, but it gives you not only the entire the entire idea of who Steve Rogers is, that his main concern is taking care of the people around him, but it also kind of gives you just this kind of small little, the small little moment of joy, you know, that you can see that he is trying to be a hero. I think that is something that absolutely needs to be, absolutely needs to be addressed in a super, in a Superman film. Um, so that's kind of the primary thing is that just the make your Superman's heroic, that, shouldn't be something that I should have to say, but apparently it is. So, you know, um, the primary, the primary villain, I'm, I'm traditional uh, and, and getting, and if we're trying to get kind of this idea of getting back to basics for DC films, um, Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor's gotta be the villain. Um, maybe toss Metallo in there, kind of give uh, Superman a bit more of like a physical kind of conflict as well. Um, but I, I think kind of Lex Luthor w- w- is definitely going to be your primary villain. And I think he, I don't. I would not necessarily treat Lex Luthor so much as like a you know overarching you know like Thanos of of the universe, but I think definitely see him as more like maybe like kind of a Loki kind of figure, where he kind of shows up in different films and everything, and he's kind of everyone has a run with Lex Luthor sooner or later kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of my main plan on that one. Um, all right, second film. Okay, so. Oh, and excuse me, the Superman, the main main theme of, you know, the main kind of tone is that it's a traditional superhero film, okay? So the second film in the series, and I'm stealing this one from Josh, uh, and I will re- I'm will i going to go ahead and mention that on the podcast. The second film in the series is basically a comedy, and it's going to be called The Flash Rogue's Rebellion, okay? So for those of you who don't know a whole lot about The Flash, um, if unfortunately all you've seen is the CW show or the Justice League film... Um, then you don't really know a whole lot about the Flash, um, uh, who he is as a character. Yeah, I'm saying it. Um, Barry Allen is, in my opinion, the closest thing that DC has to Spider-Man, um, and the and and his sensibility and, 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 and someone his... who's in love with a stepsister, right? No, he is not in love with a stepsister. Oh. God, that show. Anyways, um, <laughs> moving moving away from that. Okay, focus. Barry Allen is the closest thing that DC has to Spider-Man, in my opinion. And his selflessness and the way that he carries himself. Um, one of the essential aspects of his character is that he is the fastest man alive, but he is always late because he is always helping more people out. You know, that's I love that concept. That he is that he can go so fast, but because he can help so many people, he chooses to do that, even if he's going to be late to, you know, d- dinner with Iris or to his job or something like that. That that's his main concern is that he is so focused on helping people. Um, you know, I just I just I love Barry Allen. I really do. Um, Barry is of course another character who uh, he does not kill, uh, and for the record most of the DC characters will not kill unless otherwise stated, um, which once again, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but Barry doesn't kill, but coincidentally in this one, his villains don't either. Um, so he's taking on the rogues. Okay. So 
the rogues have shown up in a few different a uh, few different episodes of the flash tv tv series um you know um straight up merkin people straight up merkin people unfortunately being just you know murderers more often than not um which is a point of contention for me um as a as a viewer um but uh you know, the primary characters are, you know, Captain Cold, Heat Wave, uh, Weather Wizard, Captain Boomerang, uh, Mirror Master, and occasionally the Trickster. Okay, that's... And the Rogues have taken on multiple different... You know, they're, it's kind of like Sinister Six. You know, they've taken on, like, different different groupings. You know, different characters have been featured. Um, the ones I mentioned would probably be kind of... That's kind of that's kind of who I would go for. Um Captain Cold is really kind of the, is the main one. He's the he's the essential one for me because um, Captain Cold is uh, he's uh, Captain Cold's been my uh, the ranks always come back. That, why did I'm so sorry? The Skype just randomly showed. I feel like someone sent you a message. Why did? Okay, all right. I feel like Al's probably being a jokester. Okay. Oh, did that show up in real time? Oh, I said that as like yes, as like an. I, I, I knew what was happening. My bad. <laughs> like literally just flashed on the screen. All it said was boomerangs always come back, and that just—he was going Suicide Squad. I knew exactly what was happening. Okay, any anyone. Sorry. The moment you said Captain Boomerang, I knew something was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's focusing. Um, <laughs> okay, so so the rogues are typically characters who do not kill. Okay, they their their main thing is they want the score. Okay, they want they they want money. You know, um, some of them are just they're just petty thieves, and then some of them are you know they have like these kind of backstories where they want them for certain reasons. I'm not going to get into all of those right now because that would take up way too much of this time. Um, but and in the film we probably cover some of them or at least hint at them. Um, but I really like this concept um, where the Flash is kind of like taking them down. He's, you know, he's fighting them at different points in times. Um, you know, we don't really go into Barry's backstory where it's mainly just he's the Flash. He's the fastest man alive. He works at the CCPD. You know, um, he's got to take down the rogues. He's got to take down some, some superpower people. Okay. Um, you know, but... I also really like this concept that, you know, since the rogues have this code of honor, they had, they don't kill, you know, they, they kind of have this kind of sen- sensibility about them, you know, where they take care of their own. And that includes most of central city. Um, what would happen if a natural disaster started happening in the midst of their fight, you know? So like, for example, I, my, the one I keep coming up with is typically like an earthquake, you know? So like things are going crazy. Um, so like Barry basically has a team up with the rogues, to be able to take care of the entire city because even as fast as he is, there are certain things that even he can't do, you know? And so to me, I really like this concept of, you know, where it's becomes kind of the, this kind of like reluctant buddy cop or buddy comedy kind of, kind of movie where they keep having to work together in different ways to help people. in like the last half of the movie, um, you know, Really kind of, like I say, kind of focus on kind of the comedy, you know, kind of make it make it a funny film, you know, basically, um, you know, and 
but still make it serious, you know, and still and still, you know, let it be known that there are, you know, consequences to, to what's happening, you know, and things like that. Um, especially because if there is a second film, that's probably going to be Reverse Flash, and then that's going to get all kinds of depressing and crazy and weird. So, you know, kind of leave room for the tonal shifts to happen. But anyways, um, moving on from that into the third film. <clears throat> so the third film, okay, and this is where there's probably going to be some questions um, and um, and how we would do it um, and who would play who. Um, but it's called Wonder Woman, The Pantheon, okay? So if any of you have read Brian Azzarello's take on Wonder Woman, um, and they do kind of make certain hints about it, um, and they do, that, I mean, of course, she is the daughter of Zeus in the film, um, to it. The basic the basic story in the Brian Azzarello run is that Wonder Woman is the daughter of Zeus officially. That's it's made canon, and um, basically she has to deal with all these kind of new takes on traditional Greek gods. So I mean, we're talking you know Hephaestus is the one who uh, builds all of her uh, equipment. You know he he makes the lasso. He gives her the bracelets. You know. Um, does he give her? Is there a sword? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, is, is there? Okay, yeah, I, I can remember. I knew. The, I knew. Of course, there was the God Killer in the movie. I can't remember if there was in the comics. Um, Apollo is kind of like the primary antagonist for the first like eighteen issues or so. Um, you know, uh, there's a really interesting arc where she has to go to the underworld and she gets married to Hades at one point. But then, like, he doesn't, and it's it's a whole thing. But um, loosely, loosely based on that run, um, I, I, I'm, I probably wouldn't cover everything that they do in that run because it's, it's a 35-issue run. Wonderful, wonderful storyline. Definitely worth reading. Um, if you're a Wonder Woman fan or even if you're just, just a comic fan in general uh, and you're looking to get into Wonder Woman, um, you know, so that's, that's probably what that would be. Um, that's Gal Gadot would probably be the only one that I would be 100% like, yes, you're coming back, you know, like everyone else would kind of be up in the air, but Gal Gadot just 100% or, or Gadot, however, however you say her last name. Um, I've heard people say different things. Um, Al, feel free to fact check that one for me, um, on how to properly say her name. Um, but she would 100% be, be asked to come back. Um, if, if I did it tomorrow, you know, even like, I'd be like, yes, no, he's on. Um, because like, she's absolutely fantastic in the films. She plays her perfectly. Um, the writing and has been done really well for her actually. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't cover her origin as much. Um, mainly because it's been, so it's been a recent film. That's been something that's kind of recently in people's minds. Um, that I wouldn't focus on it as much. Um, and, you know, there are certain characters that I don't think you really need to cover their origins quite as much as you do others. Um, so for her, it would be, it'd be kind of just kind of getting right, right into the action, right into the new story with, uh, with the new, with the Greek gods and everything. Um, so, yeah. Um, next up. Oh yeah. Next up would be Green Lantern and Brightest Day. Okay, so now Green Lantern, for those of you who do not know, um, I mean, I'm currently looking at a picture of the Red Lantern symbol. Um, Al takes his name Red Lanyard from the Red Lanterns. Um, So 
to say that we are fans of the Green Lantern uh, mythos is an understatement um, for us. Um, and as such, uh, the 2009 film makes us weep, um, or should be 2011 film makes us weep. Um, you know, it's just absolutely insane to think of that film being made three years after uh, three years after Iron Man. You know, I mean, that, that that movie came out the same year as Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger. I mean, like we we were already better. We why did we do that? You know, like it's but anyways, that's once again, that's neither here nor there. You know, so the main the main focus of Green Lantern and Brightest Day. Um, I really like this idea of Hal Jordan already being an established character um, and he kind of being someone who is going to teach Jon Stewart kind of how I kind of how to kind of take the reins. So Jon Stewart is the main kind of focus. Um, whereas Hal takes a bit more, like I said, a kind of a mentor role. Um, Sinestro would also still be part of the core at this point. Um, <clears throat> kind of mixing up the, the lore a little bit on that, but I really kind of like the idea of Sinestro um, being the person who taught Hal and now Hal's the person who is teaching John and, you know, kind of seeing where Sinestro is going to go in this storyline. Um, the main focus of the storyline would be that they are trying to bring Atrocitus in. Atrocitus is the primary Red, Lan- Red Lantern in the storyline. Um, he would not be a Red Lantern yet. Um, he is just a uh, he. He's a man who is filled with rage at this point. Um, he's recently, recently his planet had been destroyed. Um, God. Um, <laughs> sorry if that screwed up the recording there. Um, Recently, um, recently, his planet had been destroyed um, by these guys called the Manhunters, um, and no one really knows where they came from, who created them, or what 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 their deal is. All they know is that they've been going around destroying random planets. Um, when they're trying to take in Atrocitus, he starts to tell them about this, um, and then they find out that the Manhunters were actually created by the Guardians, who are kind of the leaders of the Green Lantern Corps. Um, and from there, you kind of had the lead into, because once Nestor hears about this, obviously he kind of, I wouldn't say that he snaps, but I would say that's basically the last straw. Um, Sinestro throughout the film will be, you know, constantly at odds with Hal, constantly at odds with the, um, constantly at odds with the, with the Guardians, you know. Um, with the way that things are being run. Um, but I like the idea that it's kind of more of a slow, a slow burn thing. It's not just something happens, something happens and Sinestro snaps. Sinestro is not crazy. He just isn't. Um, and so I would kind of, I would definitely, definitely play, play on the aspect of is Sinestro truly evil or is evil kind of relative in this sake, you know, especially in, in this first film. Um, because you know, at the, at the end, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get, get a yellow ring. He's gonna start the Sinestro Corps. Um, we might even hint towards Atrocitus getting a red ring and becoming a Red Lantern. Um, you know, of course, I mean that would probably take place a little bit later. All this, of course, leads into basically the Green Lanterns getting like a five film epic saga uh, that all leads into the War of Light. You know, if any of you all are Jeff Johns nerds and you're listening to this, you you automatically know exactly where the storyline's going. Um, and, uh, and I refuse to apologize for that because that's, that's the only story worth telling, you know, let me rephrase, not the only story worth telling, but it's definitely the one that, that needs to be told. Um, but anyways, um, 
So yeah. So following that though, um, following that is probably the most interesting of the film of the films. Um, and that's a film called Batman and Robin. And yes, we're taking the name back. Um, you know, I, I want the, well, hello, Bronte. Um, sorry, dogs on the podcast now. It's crazy. Um, no, I would, I, I really like the idea of, like I said, taking the name back and really focusing on the idea of who Batman and Robin are as, as a duo. Um, so this film would, the first film would take place roughly five years prior, um, and would basically be based on the first four issues, three, three, four, three or four issues of Scott Snyder's Zero Year arc. Um, if you haven't read Zero Year, uh, you absolutely need to. It's basically the definitive Batman story, um, especially the definitive Scott Snyder, uh, Scott Snyder Batman. Both of those things could be argued, but you know a lot of people would tell you you were wrong. Uh, primarily, uh, why say it here would tell mm-hmm. you that you're wrong. Um, but and uh, and that storyline, it's it's about Batman in his first year. Um, he's not. He doesn't have Robin. Robin's not there yet. Um, but I really like the idea of kind of adding Robin to it. Um, we've, we've seen Batman's origin so many times. Um, and so I wouldn't necessarily focus so much on his origin, but more so on, you know, he's established as Batman, Gotham knows who he is, but now something terrible is attacking the city and it's taken the lives of, uh, of two people and I've left, um, and I've left a young man without parents and that's Dick Grayson. Um, the man who would eventually be Robin and the man who would eventually become Nightwing. Um, so the film would really, really focus heavily on the, on the dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. Dynamic. Yeah, dynamic deal. Anyways, um, would really focus on the origins of Dick Grayson, um, because, and there you can have, you know, flashbacks to, you know, the alleyway. <laughs> You can have flashbacks to the alleyway, flashbacks to the pearls dropping, you know, things like that. Um, and, you know, like, that's that's kind of what my main focus would be. Um, the main villain would be Red Hood, um, which is an identity, yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, it's an identity taken by the Joker when he's still kind of basically, like, he, he, descri- he would describe himself as a thug, but that's not what he is. Um, he's basically a terrorist. Um and that's ultimately the way that he would be played out in, in this film. Um, really kind of focusing on not necessarily so much his origins, but as what makes him the Joker, you know, um, and really f- being able to separate, you know, his writing as Red Hood versus his writing as the Joker whenever he inevitably shows up later on in the, in the film series is something that I would definitely try to focus on. Um, because to me, although they are the same person, their ideologies are slightly different, um, you know. Um, and, and, of course, obviously, they, they look different, too, is another thing. Um, but, yeah, no, I would definitely fo- – I, I really like the idea of just focusing kind of earlier on in Batman's career and focusing on his dynamic with Robin. I think that's something that needs to needs to be a part of the DC films, um, and it needs to be something that's not done as, you know – it's not an Easter egg. It's not, it's not a suit that we see with bullet holes. It's not, you know, something that happens in the past. It's something that we see, you know, um, and we, and we get to see it kind of grow. Um, 
this film will be taking place about five years prior to like pretty much every other film. Um, but that's because the next film is called Justice League Throne of Atlantis. Okay. So basically if you, if you haven't read the, the Justice League run from the new 52 Throne of Atlantis is arguably the best, uh, crossover between, um, uh, of that of that run especially especially for an aquaman story it's really one of the better aquaman stories out there in my opinion um and you know it's kind of it's it's kind of basic in in the aspect that it's just it's orm it's uh you know ocean master wanting to take over the world and he wants to flood everything um but i i really like it it works really well it'd be a perfect introduction to aquaman um and then could lead off into him having his, his own film series following that um, but I like the idea of introducing him in the Justice League um, to where it's more so like basically like these things start happening, like ocean, like oceans start rising and cities start singing and stuff like that and everything. And, and the different members, uh, the different superheroes who will eventually become the Justice League are basically like, are you the one doing this? And he's like, you know, no, we got to stop my brother, so on and so forth. I'm giving you very, very uh, abbreviated versions of this. Obviously, um, actually, no, maybe the conversation should happen just like that. Like, yo, dude, what are y'all doing? And then <laughs> just Aquaman being like, nah, man, it's not me. We got to stop my brother, you know, like that would that probably that'd probably be a bit too much, but that'd be a lot of fun to see at least. Um, but yeah, I um, I really kind of like the idea where they're just kind of coming together to face a face a new villain that none of us have seen yet. Um and so I, I, I would like for that to be Ocean Master. Also, I like the idea that it's something a bit more kind of grounded. It's it's Earth, you know. It's not we're not getting immediately into doing you know Dark Side. We're not immediately getting into you know uh, the any kind of a, uh, apocalypse saga or anything like that later, um, or at this point, you know, save those for later. Um, but yeah, and about halfway through the film uh, in Justice League, um, this is this is the one. This is the only part that's really kind of far fetched, or uh, well, you know, maybe they're all far fetched. But hey, I like it. I'm rolling with this. Um, in Wonder Woman, uh, Flash, and uh, Batman, of course, we would have these introductions to Wally West, Donna Troy, and Dick Grayson um, as Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, and Robin, respectively. Um, I would really, really like it if, like, halfway through the Justice League film. Like members of the Justice League are captured, you know they don't need, and it's it's the, it's the time where you're like, oh man, what's gonna happen to our heroes now, you know? And then all of a sudden, like you, like out of the corner, you hear like Titans go or something like that, and then you have Nightwing, you have Wonder Girl, you have Kid Flash, and then you also would have Calderon, um, who is Aqualad. So for those of you who don't who haven't seen the Young Justice storyline, he's basically like the younger version of Aquaman. Um, but he's he's awesome. He's a really really cool character. Um, so you would introduce them, you know, and then there would be a natural spinoff into a Titans film, um, you know. So and then that's actually the next film was the next one will be called Titans, um, and it would be face it would be focused on these four previous sidekicks who would really kind of be trying to kind of take care of like a younger generation. And so that younger generation in this case would be Starfire, Beast Boy, uh, Cyborg, and Raven. Um, and really kind of focusing on their characters kind of coming into their own. Um, so, you know. So, yeah. So that's that's my seven film pitch, I think. Yeah. Seven films. Um, 
Oh, I did forget to add, add that in the Justice League film, we would add Zatanna and Black Canary to the Justice League. Um, you know, just because I really like those characters and, um, you know, Black Canary, I think would be a, would be perfect to add in there as kind of a kind of like a street level kind of hero and then kind of lead into a Green uh, Green Arrow kind of sto- uh, movie after that. Um, and then also um, Zatanna, I really like because then you can kind of lead into maybe a Justice League dark film or something like that where you bring in Constantine or you bring in Swamp Thing or, you know, different characters like that that are more kind of on the mystical side of things. Um, so, yeah. So kind of a lot to digest there. I do apologize about that. Oh, I'm sorry. I did forget to mention this, um, that the different themes of each film, you know, of course, Superman is a, is a superhero film. Flash is a comedy. Um, Wonder Woman would be something more kind of like a Greek epic, you know, kind of traditional. Um, Green Lantern would be a space epic. And then Batman and Robin would be basically a noir. Um, less superheroics, more about like the actual like detective work and everything that they do. Um, of course, naturally you have your, you know, all these big, you know, fight scenes, you know, things like that, where they're taking on different red members of the Red Hood gang and stuff like that and everything. But, you know, I really kind of like the idea of them being the detectives. I really want to kind of focus on that in these films. That's something that hasn't happened in the films uh, in the in previous years. So, so yeah. So, yeah, that that's my pitch. Uh, yeah, questions, comments? M- many, many concerns, I'm sure. You know, after I just went on for... Good Lord, 30 minutes, uh, basically, without without stopping. So I'm going to take a drink. Uh, and, yeah, you guys go ahead and hit me with, with what you got. All right. Um, I'm going to throw it over to Ginny first. Um, you got any questions, comments, concerns, passions, Ginny? Um, yeah, so I was curious. Like, all that sounds really cool and all. Um, and I heard you mention Raven very slightly. Um, but <laughs> one of my problems with, uh, DC in general is I feel like they haven't you know I'm biased so whatever but I feel like they haven't um, done a good job um, making Raven the character that she could be um, like everything that she's in is absolutely amazing but like she hasn't been able to like I just feel like every time I see something with Raven it's like it ends and I'm like left wanting more so I'm wondering, like, if your uh, Saving DC would ever include, like, a spinoff with Raven or, I don't know, just more uh, detailing her character, I guess. Uh, okay, so, of course, this is, you know, these are all, of course, the, the idea of a cinematic universe is, of course, these are all made with the idea that there are more films coming after this and everything. Um, yeah, of course. Raven is going to be, you know. Film, I guess, but. Raven will definitely be a prominent character in the Titans film. Um, so much so that I think the, even, you know, the second film is all about Trigon, you know, uh, the, or the, the second Titans film would be all about Trigon and that's 100% a, a, a Raven centered film. Um, right. you know, because if Raven, of course, I mean, you know, obviously I know, you know, this Kenny, but you know, for anyone who doesn't know and anyone who has, you know, had misconstrued concerns about Raven, unless you just watched the 2003 uh, series, which is perfect. Um, Raven's entire strength comes from her control over her emotions and and from her friends and the love that she has for them. Um, and you cannot have this idea of getting back to basics, getting back to what makes these characters true, if Raven is not considered to be one of the hearts and souls of the Titans team. Um, you know, especially especially since we're 
since my team is very clearly referencing the Mark Wolfman George Perez run, um, where Raven was created. Um, you know, so no, I absolutely Raven would be a major character in the Titans films. Um, and and probably in Justice League Dark as well. Um, I mean Raven's Raven's definitely a character that I could see, you know, although I love her with the Titans and although of course they will always be kind of her cent her center. I could easily see Raven kind of branching off into doing her into doing her own her own thing, or whether it's her own storyline, or whether it's going moving on to a different team or things like that. So yeah, definitely Raven would definitely be a a primary character. I promise. Okay, cool. I like to hear that. Yep. Uh, how about you, Joshua? Um, I've got a lot of issues <laughs> okay. to the point where uh, I want to preface by saying I'm not trying to be mean-spirited um, okay. at all, um, but it's just every, I will say this, everything you said right off the bat is better than what it, what we've gotten. So that's, there's that. Okay. Okay. But I have a, I have a certain rule when it comes to, superhero movies and it's and it's in super, any super adaptation as well um and the you know one rule is that um i don't care what you do with the character as long as you stay true to the idea of what that character is supposed to be which is what you're trying to do the second rule though is if there's something that is central to a storyline you keep it central to a storyline so right off the bat and i guarantee al will probably say this, is in your Green Lantern movie, you've messed up the Red Lanterns. You've screwed them up already. Okay. Um, How? Because the whole point of the Red Lanterns, and boy, are we going to get into some nerddom right here. The whole point of the Red Lanterns, though, is that they experience such rage at their helplessness that they get the ring immediately. So the idea of Atrocitus just being walking around with John and, and Hal and hanging out doesn't make any sense if he's seen his he's seen his world destroyed. So basically, you've you, you, you've done a Talia Ghoul to to Atrocis is what you've done, mm. where it doesn't make any sense for Talia to be walking around and having this revenge thing in Dark Knight Rises, and then all of a sudden he's been like, and I hated my father until you killed him. Okay, with Atrocis, it's not like I wasn't really angry about the helplessness I saw, you know, with my planet getting destroyed until this moment right here. So you've really messed up the Red Lanterns already. And part of the reason is because you want to include so much cool stuff in these movies that you're sworn to get them in there as crammed as you possibly can. Another okay. issue, yeah, and and so like so so you've got so you've got Atrocitus here in this Green Lantern movie, and you've taken away what makes Atrocitus Atrocitus because that's the other issue of the Red Lanterns is that at some point the the weakness of the Red Lanterns is that they can't see past their rage. That's that's the issue of all of them. Mm. You know, that's what fuels them, but that's also what limits them. Mm. And so everything you've done with Atrocitus in, the, in this movie, you've taken to like, so once again, I, this was my issue with Flash and Justice League. If you were a Flash fan and you went to go see Justice League, you had to have walked out of that movie just angry and just upset. And when you're doing a superhero movie, I think one of the things you've got to ask yourself is, is you know, if 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 I take a hundred fans of this character and put them in there, well, you can't make everyone happy, but will 90, 90 of them be happy? You're always going to have idiots, okay? You know, if you took a hundred Atrocitus fans, me being one of them, and put them in a film, 
and his planet got destroyed, and he was he was he was upset. You know, he he was he was upset, but he wasn't so angry that the ring attacked to him. And he's just walking around with John and Hal. I'm gonna have a lot of questions. I'm gonna have questions on how this ring works. I'm gonna have questions on why all of a sudden his anger just builds. You know, and as someone who knows the character previously, I'm gonna be like, well, why didn't they just give him the ring right there? It's a little thing, but it matters so much to that character. It's true. That's very true. You know, and so so that that's a that's a big one for me. Um, I love the pitch on Superman. Um, I love the pitch on uh, Flash, of course. Batman and Robin pitch, perfect. Uh, you can put Batman on anything; you're gonna make a bajillion dollars. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, Wonder Woman. Um, you left out. You said Apollo was the main villain. Uh, actually, with Wonder Woman, you've left out the Firstborn, which you know is is a perfect villain for movies. And if you say I was gonna put him in the second film, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Because he's the Firstborn. Okay. So is he just chilling? But the Firstborn doesn't show up until like issue seventeen. But what I'm saying is like, but 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 you can do that in a comic. First of all, you can do that in a comic, okay? Because you've got flexibility in comic because you're telling a story from different sides. Mm-hmm. But think about it from a movie standpoint, okay? Who is Wonder Woman going to fight in this movie? Apollo? You could, you know. I mean, I mean, you could. I mean, yeah, you you could do that, okay? You could. But like once again, the comics we're doing with this whole like sort of like gray area with all of the with all of the pantheon mm-hmm. you've got a perfectly punchable villain in the firstborn just <laughs> sitting there you know and um you know and and the other thing is you don't have to with firstborn you don't have to try to explain the greek pantheon to people in a two-hour movie that is true okay and then i utterly abhor the justice league teen titans idea I, okay i can't i like, Jenny's being nice, okay? and Which is weird for Jenny, okay? But, like, anyone who's a fan of I don't of think Teen... it's weird for Jenny, first, first and foremost. If, 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 if anyone is... If, 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 if anyone is a fan of Teen Titans, and they're sitting there, and you're and they're like, hey, by the way, we're going to shove the Teen Titans in this Justice League movie. No. And, and, and you... you, you th- th- that's the thing about it. You'd be angry, too, Jay. Like, I mean, if, if, if you were sitting there, and you were like... All right, so we got the Justice League together, okay? And first and foremost, somehow Orm overpowered the Justice League, so let's just start right there, okay? <laughs> and then we've got the Justice League, and, and so Orm overpowered them, and then the Teen Titans just show up out of nowhere and go, Titans, go. For 30 seconds, you'd be excited, because every time you hear Titans, go, you get excited. It's fair. But for, after 30 seconds, you'd have a lot of questions, okay? All right, and so for me, the Titans, if you're going to introduce them, you know, you introduce them all in their own movie, because they deserve their own movie, you know? And and you introduce them, you know, as and I, you know, however you want to do it, but they deserve their own movie, you know, and 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 I and yeah, I do Trigon as the first movie because I think Trigon legitimizes them, mm-hmm. you know. And other thing is like, look, you know, look at the look at the comics and see what worked there, you know. The whole what's Marvel, that's what Marvel Wolfman did, you know. The whole point of the Titans was that you know Raven goes to the Titans because none of the action superheroes will listen to her because they think she's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, she goes to the Titans, you know, and says, you know, they don't, they're not listening to me, you know, but there's this interdimensional demon that's getting ready to come and destroy everything, you know, we need to do something about it. Um, and so, you know, you, you legitimize them by giving them their own thing. If they're in, if they're in a movie in service to something else, 
they don't really work. That's why that's what that's one of the reasons DC has done very few Just League Teen Titans crossovers. They just don't happen that often because if one's in service to the other, they don't really work, you know. And I mean the the only time it has worked is Young Justice, you know, mm-hmm. and like and even then they're still like Batman's like off over here and they're here. Mm-hmm. You know. And um so I mean that's you know, that, there's just like some of that is just a little you know, I, I it, it's just things. It's just it, it. It's you know, it's like you've got five hundred ideas. You're trying to jam into seven movies. You know, I'm just not sure they they that's, work. That's a that's a fair statement. Yeah. Uh, it's if 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 I may. Uh, yeah. So now on the atrocity stuff, I I I do need to backpedal a little bit on that. I and and I will probably and I I would definitely change change that up. Um. My prim- my primary thing was I did just want to kind of get as much of the lore out there before we kind of get into all the heavy stuff. Probably not the best thing to do with a character like Atrocitus, who is such a important and really kind of a dynamic character as he is. Um, in all honesty, I ultimately just needed a villain, and he was kind of the first one that kind of I kind of thought of. But honestly, with as many, but do you though when you got the manhunters there? That's kind of the thing. Is maybe the manhunter? I was literally just thinking that literally as we were talking about it. Is what if it's more like these planets are getting destroyed? The Green Lanterns are like, I have no idea what's going on, and then you have the manhunters. So then we can get even crazier. We can have like this massive like manhunters versus Green Lantern core battle. You know, um, where we get all kinds of craziness with Salak and Tamara and Kilowog and all everyone's favorites. Mm-hmm. You know. And then naturally, you have one of the primary planets that are destroyed is Yasamult, which is where Atrocitus is from. From there, you have a perfect lead into the Red Lanterns. And then you also, like I said, you have a lead in with uh, Sinestro being entirely uh, just done with the idea of the Green Lantern Corps at this point. Um, so, yes, that, that works a lot better. And, and after, after the more I think about it, um, you know. Um, and I will readily admit my entire pick, my ambition will, will, would be my undoing. Um, and I would need a solid producer like Josh to be like, hang on a second. Let's just back this down. Um, now, now Wonder Woman's on Wonder Woman's the Pantheon that, that, that one, I still, I, I agree with you. Maybe, maybe the firstborn should, no, it should be, uh, should be it should be the first villain, but I still like the idea that they're that all the other that Apollo's still definitely an antagonist. Hera's still an antagonist for the first film at least. Um, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, the first one probably is like you said, a punchable right. villain. I love Azrael Azrael like more than anything, okay? But it's on that it, it's it's I'm not gonna say it's unfilmable, but it's in that Alamore unfilmable range. Mm-hmm. Because the stuff that goes on in that is just so freaking weird. It's true. You know? And, like, it's just, you know, the, you know, it's, it's, I, I mean, there, there would be points where I'd be reading and, go, and just would go and look at, like, on the front cover where it said, you know, teen. And I'd be like, gosh, this is a teen mm. book, man. I mean, this <laughs> stuff is just, you know, horrific, you know. That's true. The, That's true. You know, the, I mean, because they're so, um, they're they're right they're you know and, and like and, and and i get the idea of like having the different having the different you know um movies all having different so to speak or like or being Tons, different yeah. yeah but 
you talk about a tonal shift. You go from Flash, where you said it's a comedy, and then you go to Wonder <laughs> Woman, where you know, like, I mean, you know, I mean, Hades has, you know, uh, uh, Persephone. What? Uh, not? No, yeah, Hades, well, no, Hades no, has Kronos. has Kronos attached to his wall and just feeds him, and the stomach's cut out, and so he can't ever get full, and that's his personal hell. And I mean, if that's something, I'm just saying, like, there's a there's a lot of stuff in there that's like central to that story. You know, that's just really... I mean, you remember how that comic starts? I do. You know? I do. Yeah, with that the centaurs. Com- yeah, yep. with the centaurs. And then yep. Apollo randomly kills two groupies. Yep. You know, to use to use them as... Uh, oracles. Oracles. You know, and like, it's just... I mean, it's just... That's that's where you see Wonder Woman once. You know? <laughs> so like, I mean, it's, it's just... There's a lot in that that's just very, very uh, difficult to me. That would, that would be hard for me to... To try and make work, although I love it, and I and by the way, if you, yeah, if you're looking for a comic to read, that that's it's fantastic. Thirty five mm-hmm. issues, Brian Ezra, probably my favorite Wonder Woman run, honestly. Now with the Justice League, um, I do, I definitely do. The more I think about it, that once again, it's kind of it's kind of like the Green Lantern thing. The more I think about, it, I do agree with you on the the aspect that the Ocean Master overpowering the Justice League is probably the is probably the most the craziest idea of anything that that I said. Actually, um, I like the idea of him being familiar. Is a bit much. Well, it's just um, like in, okay, it's my issue with the Tim Burton Batman movies. What's first thing happens to Batman? Tim Burton movies. He gets shot. He gets shot. He falls down. You know, it's like it's the first thing that happens. So you've got your Justice League movie where they're coming together, and you know, like the first thing that happens, they need to be saved by someone else. That's you true, know? and that's that's not something that we should be doing. Um, I will say that with my Titans film, I do like the idea of them being introduced in other films. So, like, I like the idea of Aqualad being in the Justice League film. Um, I like the idea of Nightwing being, or Robin being in Batman and Robin, obviously. I like the idea of doing Wonder Girl and doing Kid Flash and then kind of bring them together, you know, as that team. You know, like, you could have, like, a, you could have a reference to it in Justice League where, like maybe Robin is there or he, maybe he's Nightwing now. And so like Batman's like, you know, where are you going? And he's like, I've got my own team to worry about or someone like that, you know, or some kind of slight reference to it, you know, and then you lead into Titans. Um, but yeah, maybe they shouldn't be as prevalent, um, you know, but yeah. So although I do understand where you're coming from, I do like the idea of them, like half of them being set up as kind of like the leaders. And then the second half is the next generation. Of of kind of these teenage heroes, basically. So yeah, gotcha. All right, I'm done. I'm done being mean spirited. <laughs> I don't think you're mean spirited. I think I, those were those were all legitimate concerns. Mm. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, Josh has actually addressed. Um, a lot of other questions and concerns I had. Um, um, again, just to echo him, I feel like I have to say it just because, like, you know, again, my online name is Red Lanyard. Like, I've, I've, you know, the Red Lantern lore is where is where I live a lot of the time. Um, you know, you if if you're gonna have Atrocitus in the film, then like Atrocitus has to be the film. Like he's just he just commands that much um, attention and respect and power um, all the time, you know. I like to I like 
to describe um, Atrocitus' philosophy as as instead of like you know um, having an eye for an eye, it's just like you know his his approach to it is like you know a heart for an eye instead, and so like you know the idea the idea of like Atrocitus like hanging out in a film even having conversations with people in the first place is just a very foreign idea to me. But, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, like if you were to go back a bit um, and kind of rework that, then I could see you could even have, have Atrocitus at like the very end of the film, show him as like, uh, just show him briefly as like a person who, who watched um, his planet get, destroyed by the Manhunters. The Manhunters leave almost as like a flashback thing to go fight the Green Lanterns. And then Atrocitus has his his rage experience and gets his ring. And then that's like the end of your film. And then that'll lead into um, the sequel. Uh, um, I think that'd be really cool. Um, um, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of in between you and Josh on the Teen Titans thing. Um, I see where you are coming from jacob where it would be cool to have uh um like nods and and references and some setup and things like that in um, the other films um however i do i do agree with josh that if you're gonna have a teen titans thing it needs it needs to be a teen titans thing um just like with atrocitus it needs to be an atrocitus thing um but um again I'm not sure how I would go about balancing that, um, but um, yeah, I'm kind of in between on that one. I don't know. Um, and then, since you are proposing a film, or rather a series of films, um, I gotta ask. Let's just go with the main. Um, let's see, main X you talked about. I think um, who you got for casting. Well, you know, it's it's funny. Um, I was actually kind of so focused on the actual like storylines of these films that I didn't really think about casting too much. Um, but I mean, like, like off the top of my head, I mean, the and that's also kind of the sad part about the current DC films is I don't really dislike any of the like any of the castings, with the exception of Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. That's the only one that I think is one hundred percent less like. Why is it happening? Um, Everyone else, even the ones I might have mild issues with, you know, Ezra Miller as Flash or, um, you know, even to certain extents, uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman, but that's primarily because of how he's written. Um, you my know, man. My man, you know, all right. You know, which even even that, like, I even I was like, you know, okay, sure. Once, it, once, once you get used to it, you're like, okay, it's just fun, you know, at this point. But, you know... I I'd be perfectly fine with with those guys coming back as long as they had a better script, you know. Um, I had no issues with Ben Affleck or Henry Cavill. That's I, I and I, and I want to make that clear. Um, I think they did one hundred percent the best that they could with what they had. Um, prime example: Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill is closer to Superman in The Witcher than he than he is in the actual Superman films. Like and and that's saying something because Geralt is nothing like Superman. There's a scene where Geralt's like, if I have to choose between you know a greater evil or lesser evil, I just prefer not to choose. I'm sitting there like, that's way closer to Superman than anything. Way closer, you know. 
<laughs> way closer than it than than you know anything of the do you bleed you know yeah. you will uh, aspects of the Superman and Batman that have come before. Um, I mean, and and maybe Affleck. Affleck could probably be a hard sell. I, th- I think Affleck's done. I, I don't think. I think after everything that happened with those films, he was wanting out anyway. So I don't think he'd want to come back. I would love to see Cavill come back personally. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to see him be the Superman that I know he can be. Um, because the thing is, is like you know the uh, CGI mustache uh, aside, um, him as Superman and like those last like twenty minutes of Justice League is probably my favorite part of Justice League because oh my gosh, he's smiling. Like that's weird. We haven't seen that in a while, you know. And we, he's actually—did he just save people? Like, did he save a an entire building full of people? Oh my goodness! I've never seen this side of him, you know. Because you actually get to see him as Superman for like three seconds, and then now, obviously, the rest of that movie is pretty rough, anyways. But that's not here nor there. Cavill with the with the right script and with the right direction, I'd love to see him in the role, um, you know. But. Let's see who else. Um, you go to Pattinson. The thing is, is I'd be okay with Pattinson, except for I don't like some of the things he said recently about Batman. Yeah, I, um, I was okay with Pattinson until he started until talking. until some of the things he said about him. And and the thing is, is like, and and I, and I've talked to uh, a a good friend of mine, and I don't know if he wants to be put on the podcast or not, so I'm not going to say his name, but one of the, he, he, I, I always consider him a DC apologist when it comes to the, when it comes to the old, uh, earlier films and everything. And he actually said something interesting. His, he said, you know, that maybe some of the things that Pattinson is saying is stuff that he's using to kind of get inside the role. Maybe it's not necessarily the way that the film is going to be or anything like that. And look, if that helps him, helps him to get to, to get to that role, that's fine. But the thing is, is like, does that you, make it better? No, that it, makes it worse, but uh, we're going to let him go. Okay, go ahead. In my opinion, Denny hasn't spoken for 20 minutes. Um, and <laughs> me, but me personally, though, I, I am of the belief that if you think that Batman is crazy because he chooses to be Batman, then you're misunderstanding who Batman is as a character. And that's just that's just me at, at its core. Um uh, for for my thoughts of who Batman is, to me, Batman I think needs to be someone who is way more complex than what people make him out to be. They make him out to either to just be this guy who is crazy, dresses like a bat, and wants to fight people. Okay, Batman is so much more than that. You know, Bruce Wayne is so much more than that. Um, you know, Bru- Bruce Wayne uh, needs to be as important of a character. And like the philanthropy work that he's doing, and the fact that he's trying to literally make Gotham a better place, as well as Batman fighting people on rooftops, you know, and chasing down criminals and stuff like that, and everything. Um, that's kind of the thing that, to me, it doesn't. And, and and to me, at that point, it doesn't matter who plays the character as long as they understand those aspects. Um, you know, I was one hundred percent on on board for Pattinson. I had no. I'm I'm not one of those. It's like, oh no, he was in Twilight. He can never be Batman. You know, I don't I don't care. You know, that's that's fine. Let let's let's see what we can do. He has done so many more films besides that that have shown him as a as a very good actor. You know, um, but I guess but like I said with previous certain things that he has said, I've I'm kind of iffy. But 
So, no, I mean, I, I don't really have a set Batman. Um, and, I, and, you know, I I don't really know who could play him. Um, since we are doing, you know, dream castings, though, I do absolutely have one for Nightwing. Um, and, a lot of, and a lot of people may not know who this is, but Ricochet is a wrestler in the WWE. He is... Uh, <laughs> He is a uh, he is a big comic book fan as it is. He has dressed as Nightwing before. He's dressed as Red Hood before, um, and I, I mean, I'd be one hundred percent fine if if he if he took the role. I would I would absolutely love it. Um, and also for the record, he can already do at least ninety percent of the stuff that he would be required to do physically in in the film. Um, you know. So so yeah so if we're doing dream casting Ricochet is Nightwing one hundred percent I would I would support it. Um, let's see who who's left of the main. So we got we got Flash. We would have Flash and then the Green Lantern characters would probably would really be kind of what's left. Um, hmm. See, for Flash, I would need someone who... I need to believe their selflessness. I need to believe that they that they are 100%, you know, supportive of anyone else who is around them and wanting them to, to, to be better, you know. But I also need to believe that he can... But I also need to have him be kind of the comedic relief. You know, I need him to be able to be quick on his feet and stuff like that. And that's why, for me, the per- the perfect Flash would be Andrew Garfield. Um, I think. Nah, I mean, I think that he, I think he kind of got the short end of the stick when it when it came to Amazing Spider-Man. You know, that's another podcast on another time. Is are those films actually good or are they not? And uh, how much of that yeah, is good. due to how good Andrew Gar- and and how much of that is due to how good is Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone? Which look, if you if if the if that's ninety percent of your film, that's a solid film in my opinion because both of them are absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, but for me, I, th- I think Andrew Garfield would absolutely kill the role of Flash. I think I think he'd be great. Um, you know, so so Andrew Garfield would definitely would definitely be a, to- a top pick there. I have really kind of no idea for the Green Lanterns. Um, honestly. Just because I don't think he'll be back, I kind of want Fastbender as Sinestro, because um, I don't think he'll be back as Magneto. Um, but I think that he is. I mean, once again, that's another podcast as well. But uh, I'd give a kidney for Fastbender to be Sinestro. Exactly. I mean, I would donate a kidney. <laughs> you know, to if, a person of Fastbender's choice. If he would be <laughs> because the the thing is about is about Fastbender as an actor. Even if you've just seen, let alone if you've seen him in, in any other roles, but even if you've just seen him in X Men, like it's it is jarring to watch anyone else in those films act, and then and then the camera cuts to Fastbender, yeah, you know, it really is um, because and, and that's not and look, I'm not taking away from McAvoy, I'm not taking away from Lawrence, I'm not taking away from Holt or anyone else on there. I'm just saying, Fastbender is really one of the unsung actors of our time, in my opinion. Um, and I think that he is. I think that he would absolutely destroy, like, just knock it out of the park. You know, as mm-hmm. as a character that you know, is he doing horrible things? Yes. Do you still kind of root for him? Kind of. You know, sometimes. And so that's Fastbender. I think is someone who would absolutely uh, embody what was needed for that. Um, you know. So 
Um, but like I said, I have I have really kind of no picks for I have no picks for for John Stewart or Hal Jordan as of right now. If you guys have anyone that you, that you're thinking of, please feel free to go ahead and ho- holler those names out. Um, as of right now, I've really I'm kind of blanking. Um, honestly. Um. Oh, go ahead, Al. Oh no, 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 you please. Uh, well, I was just gonna say, do you have any other thoughts for the other Teen Titans? Honestly, for for like the for like the younger like the like, like the the newer ones, the the Cyborg, Beast Boy, Starfire, and Raven, I'd really be okay getting unknowns. Um, because the thing is, I think that movie's going to. I think that. By that point, you know, and of course, I'm already I'm already speaking like you know, just like I've just watched the release of my Justice League film. Um, but you know, at that point, you know, superhero films are going to kind of carry their own weight in a lot of ways, um, just because just because they are they are you know stronger right now because every, everyone you know they're they're everywhere. A lot of people go see them and everything. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that you would need the like star power to really kind of sell that movie. And I think that you know the I especially if the first movie is so Raven centric, I think that the idea the idea of having someone like it could be like their like their second or third role, you know, and they're basically the, the leading star, you know. I think that'd be a really kind of interesting thing to do. And plus, at that point, you know, obviously it's really easy uh, to go from there because it's like, well, they're they can do these roles for a while because they're young, you know, and because they're, you know, they're, they don't have as many previous commitments, you know, so they can, they can jump right into a sequel if we need them to, you know, and stuff like that and everything. So I would go with relative, relatively unknowns. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, as far as um, the casting for uh, the Green Lantern films, uh, I'm just going to toss out, um, a couple of dream castings I've had. I think about live-action Green Lantern films a lot, um, especially, especially over the last couple of years since Warner Brothers has. I'm just convinced that they've like f- f- completely forgotten that Green Lantern was even on their slate. Because um, first of all, they, they they slated it for a release after like they would have already put out like over a. D- dozen films, which I don't understand why they would do that. I'm kind of convinced that we just aren't going to see a Green Lantern movie from Warner Brothers until there's a reboot. Um, I'm sorry. There, Eventually there's going to be a podcast where I'm just in a room all by myself just screaming into the void about how awfully Green Lantern has gotten the shaft with the past few DC films. Um, anyway, uh, as for the castings, um, I know y'all threw out um, Asbender, um, Force, and Astro, which I think would be very cool. Obviously, he's a terrific actor. Um, if he were to not be interested in the role, um, um, I think Skarsgård, um, the Pennywise actor, um, would make an excellent Sinestro. Um, as far as being just able of just being able to pull off just like uh, very good physical acting. I'm, I'm just being very uh, um, expressive. Um, and I just think he would nail the role. 
Um, and then as far as the Jon Stewart actor, uh, we would be borrowing from the Marvel Universe. But I think um, Winston Duke um, would be a okay. really, really, really good Jon Stewart. I could see I, that. I'm, I'm all in. You know, I'm, I, I would be all in on that. Absolutely. He'll he'll tower. I mean, whoever we get it as Hal, because otherwise he's gonna just like tower over him. Because Winston Duke is not a small person. Oh, but uh, but I mean, I'd, I'd still be fine with that. Who's uh, who's who's your pick for Hal? Or do you have one? Um, um, I don't think he would say yes. But um, honestly, I would be okay with hitting Ryan Reynolds again. Um. I think he's at a point in his career where he's kind of where I think at, at least he's ready to kind of step away from fandom stuff. Um, and he's definitely, he definitely has like some artists version of PTSD from being in the last Green Lantern film. But um, I think especially now that like he's a bit older, I think he would play like a veteran Hal Jordan really, really well. I'd, the thing is, is like, he was one that I thought of, but I, I was like, I was kind of like you. I was like, there's no way you'd say yes, but, but at the same time, if you're going to have this kind of idea of where Hal is, you know, he's older, like you said, he's he's not necessarily he is a primary character, but he's, I mean, the, the primary focus is going to be on John, you know, because John's going to be the, he's the he's our pro, he's our protagonist, he's the one that. He's the one that that you know people are going to be explaining things to. He's the one that's going to be in training, you know. Um, so I mean, like that's I would love to see Ryan Reynolds as as Hal again um, because because here's the thing, Ryan Reynolds is not the issue with that movie. He he just isn't. Um, you know, and it's and it's weird because I love him so much as a director now, but I I, I remember constantly thinking, you know, that you know it's it's weird that we have Antika Watiti as Tom, the comic relief. Like that's, that, that's, that's weird to me in, in a Green Lantern film. Hal Jordan is not a, a stoic, serious character. He is a funny person, you know, like we don't, we didn't really need Tom. We didn't need a new character, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I just, I'd be, I'd be 100% down for that. I think Ryan Reynolds would be great, but, it, you know, personally, you know, if I had the opportunity to, you know, stay off a movie that has brought me tons of success where I can tell the same joke a hundred times in each movie and it be considered artistic masterpiece or go back to Green Lantern, I'd probably stay with the movie that mm. I told the same joke a hundred times in. Mm. Another separate pod. We're just getting all kinds of podcast ideas, you know. <laughs> Just uh, yeah. All right, all right, folks. Um, that is going to do it for our our second episode of Phantom Shark Tank. Um, I want to thank um, all of my compatriots who have joined me, um, especially um, you, Jacob, for for coming equipped with a lot of really great ideas um, to close. Um, um, I just want to review um, a couple of the facts, um, checking things I did um, over the course of the, of, um, of um, this podcast or these podcasts, however we're going to release them. Um, yes, please, so, where can I watch Factor Fiction? 
<laughs> um, so um, I have great news for everybody. Um, Beyond Belief Factor Fiction is available to stream on Amazon Prime. Oh, Absolutely. yes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so so talk about ending the podcast on a high note. You guys can you guys can watch uh, Frakes say ridiculous things as as a non sequitur introduction <laughs> in real time. The way they were intended to be watched. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard, even, even Bronte's excited. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's great. Um, and then the um, second thing I fact-checked is um, um, Gal Gadot's last name is not pronounced that way. Um, she's actually said in a couple interviews that people um, habitually pronounce her last name wrong. Um, it is pronounced Gal Gadot. Short O and an audible T sound. Gal Gadot. Gal There you go. Hope y'all learned something um, here on this this excellent episode of Phantom Shark Tank. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much um, again for uh, for joining us. Um, um, I'd just like to to say again, you know, there's there's a lot of podcasts out there, um, so we really appreciate you guys um, deciding to. Um, to spend your time with us. Um, it means a lot. Um, and um, yeah, um, as we close every time, uh, fandom is for everybody. Um, this this project, this podcast idea really came out of my desire to hear what my friends love and to hear about their passions, um, if they were able to pursue those passions with absolutely no strings attached and, and no holds barred. Um, so yeah, as always, reach out to us um, on social media and tell us what your passions are. Tell us if you could do um, a project um, on any kind of thing you wanted to, uh, what that would be. Um, and thank you so much. Everybody stay safe out there. <laughs>